Welcome to Blaine Christ the King. You are listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at our campus location in Blaine, Washington. Thanks for tuning in. Well, happy December, everybody. December's here. Any Christmas fans here? Anybody like Christmas, like this time of year? Yeah, that's good, yeah. Um, yeah, this is great. We, uh, my family went and got our tree yesterday. Uh, we went and cut it down. We didn't know what kind of tree we were getting, and they, they charge by the type of tree. And we found out it's a Serbian spruce. Has anybody ever heard of a Serbian spruce? One guy, Ron? All right. Uh, so that was a new one for me. I'm, that's a new one for, uh, for my knowledge of trees. Um, but hopefully you guys are having a good, uh, good first Sunday, a good first week of Advent. Um, but we've been going through a series uh, called uh, Changed by Hope, and we've been in journeying through the book of First Peter. It's a book um, that Peter wrote to a bunch of churches out in what's now modern-day Turkey that were experiencing a lot of suffering. Um, they were experiencing a lot of persecution, a lot of pressure from, from people on the outside. And so he wrote this book to encourage them. You know, he wrote this book to give them hope um, while their uh, houses were being destroyed, while their friends and family uh, were being persecuted, even killed. And so um, this is a book of hope. And we talk a lot about hope around this Christmas season. It's a time where a lot of people are looking for hope. It's, it's a time where losses are more pronounced, maybe, than in other times during the year. And so um, last week we started off talking about how in Christ we have a living hope. We have a hope that lives, that grows, and that's secure. And so we're going to continue that today as we talk about not, not just having a hope that lives uh, in us, but also drives every part of our lives. So today we're going to talk about a hope that drives, and not like drives a car, um, but, but drives our lives. It's, it's what motivates us to keep going in life. And so uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about that. We're all driven by something that we hope for. Um, when I was 20 years old, actually when I was 19, uh, it was the first time that I met Bonnie. And uh, when I met Bonnie, it was pretty much love at first sight. Anybody else have that experience where you just see someone, just me? Okay, well, I'm going to go out on a limb here. So it was, it was pretty much love at first sight uh, when, I, when I saw her. See, uh, my sof- I was in my sophomore year of college. I lived in a house with four guys and one pet duck. We had a pet duck. His name was Dizzle, um, so it t- kind of tells you a little bit about, like, my friends were into hip-hop. Um, but uh, we had this pet duck, and, um, and it was January. And, and in January, there was this kind of um, historic ice storm that happened where um, it, had s- it snowed for, for three days where we were at, and then it, f- it, it uh, rained freezing rain for a whole day. And so it was just slicker than slick. Um, I tried to walk across the street one time. It took me five minutes to walk across the street. I knew the girls in the house across from me, and they're just laughing at me as I'm, like, tiptoeing my way across the street. So we had this ice storm on a Wednesday. And Wednesday was usually the day where uh, our campus, uh, Christian campus group met. And so we couldn't meet on campus. So what they decided to do was have everybody go and meet in homes. And so my house uh, was one of those homes. And so we had some new people there that, that uh, we hadn't, I hadn't seen before. And one of them was this cute 
gal with the, the biggest brown eyes I've ever seen. And she's not here, so I can't make her blush. But it was just like I was just drawn to her. And then as we were doing this Bible study, I don't even remember what she said, but just the way she said it with such confidence, I was like, man, this is, this is the girl for me. Like, not only does she have these beautiful brown eyes, but she's, like, really deep, and she has this deep relationship with the Lord. And so I was just driven to get to know her. Um, I, uh, I, I found out that she, um, after that night, I found out that she played guitar, and I was in charge of the, the worship band at our Christian club. So I recruited her uh, to play with us. It was strategic. It was like, hey, you want to come, come over and practice for a while? Um, you know, we, uh, we were going to go serve concessions at a basketball game. Like, hey, you should come along. And I think we took like a 45-minute break. You know, I just wanted to, just wanted to get to know her. And, uh, you know, it was so, so it was about six weeks later. Uh, you know, we're sitting in this little restaurant called Rice Time. And I asked her, hey, I really like you. Do you want to start dating? And she said, yeah, we can do that. The date was February 10th, 2004. And uh, I remember it. And I remember the le- next, f- like, two months, I felt like I was walking on air, you know. And I just wanted to spend all my extra time with this girl. I was just driven to spend time with Bonnie. I, I uh I ditched everything else. There's friends that I just kind of like ditched. There's plans that I ditched. Um, it was just I would drop anything just to be with Bonnie. And uh, we're all driven by something we hope for. For me, it was to be with this girl. Um, but what are you driven for this morning? What's driving you right now? We all have different things that, that drive us. Maybe it is a potential relationship. Maybe there's a relationship that you're either seeking or, or you're trying to restore that's, uh, that's motivating you. Um, maybe it's a job change. You really are motivated to get a new job or look for, for something new. Um, maybe it's just for community. Maybe you're looking for a place where you can really feel at home. Um, it could be for freedom. Maybe you're motivated by freedom, whether that's for an addiction or a burden that you've been carrying, and you're just asking God, Would you give me freedom? But we need to take a step back and look at the big picture. What is our hope in? Our ultimate hope is in Jesus. And so as we continue in 1 Peter, we're going to ask this question, how should the hope that we have in Jesus drive our lives? How should our hope in Christ drive our lives? We're going to read 1 Peter 13 through 21 this morning. It will be on your screen. It says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you are ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but he was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. So 
like other passages we've read in First Peter, like last week, there's a lot here. <laughs> so we need to uh, unpack it piece by piece. And I want to look at this first verse where it says, preparing your minds for action, be sober-minded, and here's the key, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you. So our hope in Jesus requires our full attention. It requires our full weight. Jesus offers us salvation, life. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Um, but to realize that hope, we have to fully invest in it. And we got to believe that God re who rescued us, God rescued us from sin and death and gives us new life. But what we see in how he talks about it, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, is we see that our hope drives us to think differently. So that's kind of the first thing, is that our hope drives us to think differently. When we realize, man, I really need uh, salvation, I really need Jesus, I really need a lifeline away from the things that I've been in, uh, it drives us to think differently. Uh, the actual phrase that he uses to say uh, prepared for or prepare our minds is really an interesting phrase. It's it's um, it, it's uh, technically translated to gird up the loins of your mind, which is a little weird, right? Gird up. What do you mean gird up the loins? Like what? Are, what are you talking about? Um, it it just sounds weird. But back in those days, they wore robes. And so um, what girding up your loins meant was actually lifting your robe and tucking it in your shorts so that you can run. So they're not like wearing, like you can't run in these robes that they wear. So then in order to do it, it just looks ridiculous. And you just tuck it through your shorts so that you, your legs are free to run. So I don't know if that's a great translation for us. It's hard to imagine actually doing that. Um, so maybe a better translation to be would would be to put your workout clothes on, right? Put your workout clothes on before, you know, if life is a marathon, put those workout clothes on before you run. Um, has anybody ran an extended time in jeans? Does not feel good. So uh, what he's saying is prepare your mind. Get geared up uh, by, uh, by adjusting your mind. And I think what he means is, you know, we all see the world through a different lens. We all have a different lens. Um, and without God, without an influence um, outside of our world, we're, uh, our default lens is to think like the rest of culture. It's to see the world like the rest of culture. It's to adopt the values of culture. Um, most of the values of our culture come down to self-fulfillment. Uh, how can I carve out my own happiness? How can I build uh, my own success? How do, how do I define that for myself? Uh, our culture is, is wrapped up in self-fulfillment, and that could be through our work uh, or what we consume. It could be through our sexuality. Um, but we're, our culture is wrapped up in this idea of self-fulfillment. So God is telling us that, hey, if we want to completely hang on to this hope, we need to think differently. Uh, we don't simply accept what the world offers. Uh, we're supposed to see it in a new light. We're supposed to see what's really important or what's really true. And so uh, preparing our mind shapes the way that we see ourselves, that we are, are in need of a Savior, um, but it also shapes the way that we see others, um, that everybody needs Jesus. The world needs Jesus. So our hope doesn't allow us to neglect the needs of others. It actually causes us to run towards the needs of others, that we would share that same love. Um, 
being prepared for action me can mean being ready to share Christ with anyone you come across. Um, Pastor Steve Mason used to say, time is flying and people are dying. Like it's kind of a sober reality, that sober reality that, man, everybody needs this hope in Jesus and adjusting our life uh, to be about that mission. But the main command of this passage is found in the following verses, 14 through 16. So we're supposed to prepare our minds for what? And this is what Peter says. He says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So I don't know about you, I, this, is a, this is one of those um, verses that can be difficult to swallow, but the center of what makes us different is that we're all called to be holy. Um, God calls us to be holy just as he are holy. If we're his kids, he wants us to be like him. The Greek word is hagios. It just means to be different, to be set apart, to be clean or purified, um, or even to be sacred. And I think for a lot of us, when it comes to this idea of being holy, it can carry some baggage. Uh, because we've seen people um, live this out in a way uh, that, uh, in a very religious way. You know, you can approach this command to be holy from a very religious way. Um, you know, you, you've heard the phrase holier than thou. You know, people who, who act holy or act like they're above other people. Um, one of the images I got is when you think of the misconception of this word holy is, uh, anyone remember the church lady from Saturday Night Live? Right? Like always judging other people, right? Um, and just always better than other people. Like we can have misconceptions when we think of this word holy. What does it mean to be holy? We can think of people living in a bunker and protecting themselves from the rest of the world. And unfortunately, maybe you've been hurt by super religious people, like the wrong expression of this idea to be holy. You know, I know people who've walked away from faith because of the way they were treated by people who thought that they were better than them. But that's not what the holiness of God is about. That's what we're going to talk about today. That's not what the holiness of God is about. It's not about a legalistic approach to serving God. In fact, in Jesus' time, you remember the Pharisees. They were a super religious group of people. They were always focused on the rules and getting everything 100% perfect but in doing that, they missed the heart of what God was saying. Um, Jesus got into more like verbal fights with the Pharisees than anybody else. Um, just listen to what he says here in Matthew 23. He says, he just calls them out. Uh, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. Uh, Jesus doesn't mince words. Um, so you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So guys, our call to be holy cannot equate to um, religious appearances. It can't equate to just having the outside of the cup clean. It has to go deeper than that. 
Uh, we need a different understanding of what this means to be holy. It has to go deeper than just having a clean exterior. Um, because if we pretend that, that we have it together, but on the inside we're dead, we're in that same boat as the Pharisees. We can't approach holiness in a legalistic way. We're still called to be different. We're still called to, to uh, walk in a, in a manner worthy of, of this gospel. You know, so we have to uh, wrestle with that. While we don't approach it from a legalistic way, we still have this, this uh, heart that, that, um, we, we need to follow, uh, that needs to follow Christ and live in a way that's worthy of him. And why is that? Peter reminds us that we were bought by his blood that we were ransomed by the blood of Christ, that God bought us, that he made us his own. And if we're God's kids, like God wants his kids to act like him, right? And so there's still this tension like, no, we don't, we're not legalistic, but we still can't hold on to the things that we were holding on to. We still can't hold on to old passions. You know, Peter says not to be conformed to old passions. And really there's no hope in those because they're temporary, they're fixed, they're set on earth. And the world is consumed with passion for things like money, sex, and power. They're consumed with things that are temporary and fleeting. But unfortunately, those will never give us the security or fulfillment that we think they can provide. Because none of those things can save our soul. None of those things address our soul. And we've seen the devastation it can create when, when Christians don't, don't live up to God's standards. I mean, I think as a pastor, I think of other pastors in leadership that have fallen, and it just creates a devastating ripple effect among congregations, communities. Um, uh, hun hundreds and thousands of people can suffer because of one person's sin. And so, uh, so while we're not supposed to be legalistic, there's still this call, there's still this important call to follow to, um, to represent this God that we serve. So what I'm getting at is, is we need to figure out how to go about fulfilling this commandment. How do we go about fulfilling this call to be holy as God is holy? And here's a place to start. Holiness is not about trading passion for legalism. It's about trading old passion for new passion. It's not about trading a passion, you know, our passion for legalism or just saying, okay, I'm not going to do these things. It's about trading an old passion for a new passion. Um, it's not a journey into legalism. Holiness is a journey into passion. Um, legalism doesn't work, by the way, because ultimately our passions will win out. Um, ultimately, what we love will come out in how we behave. And so legalism can't sustain the holiness that God is looking for us to have. Speaking of passion... Three weeks ago, I got to go to my first Seahawks game I've been to since I was eight years old. And uh, we got some Hawks fans in here, right? A few? Okay. Yeah. All right. We got two? Come on, guys. I, know, I mean, I know they're not as good as they used to be, but they're still pretty good. So anyways, I went to this game, Thursday night game against the Packers. And, you know, Seahawks fans, we're famously passionate, right? Like, we actually pride ourselves on our level of passion. And so walking to the game, people are, have their heads out of their car windows, and they're going, see, Hawks, you know, call and response, right? See, you know, and the, the C is just so deep. It's like, oh, see, you know, we're going we're gonna to take, 
take Green Bay by storm, you know. And uh, as we walked up the ramp to our nosebleed seats, um, the chant is like, Sue, you know, all the way up. It's like we're going to war, you know. I'm ready to get, like, my paint on. And, uh, you know, there's just such passion for this team. And you remember during the Super Bowl years, it's like green and blue was everywhere, right? We were loud and proud. I had a friend come in from San Francisco, and he's like, man, I can't get away from Seahawks. It's like everywhere. Um, I mean, I have a friend who, like, painted her house Seahawks colors. You know, there's stuff everywhere um, back then. And so when we fully embrace our hope in Christ, uh, we get a new passion. We're supposed to be excited about this joining team Jesus, you know? Like, it's an exciting team to be on. It's actually the winning team. He's guaranteed to win the Super Bowl, all right? I mean, of life, whatever that image is, kind of breaks down. But, you know, what we're supposed to do is trade our passion for ourselves for Jesus, Trade the passion for that we have for our own lives and get lost in what Jesus is doing. Um, I love Isaiah 26, 8. It says this. It says, Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. Your name and renown are the desire of our hearts. I think this so captures the heart of what we're talking about here. That, that we'll walk in the way of your laws, we'll wait for you because our desire is to see Jesus be great. It's to see Jesus' name be lifted up. Uh, It's to see Jesus made famous. Um, There was a movement when I was in college called the 268 Generation. It was about this verse. And the whole idea is, hey, can we get a bunch of college students to not chase their own glory, but chase the glory of God in our country? And so it's, it's the kind of glory that needs to be a heart cry, you know. It's a kind of passion that needs to be a heart cry, just like you might cry, Seahawks, you know. Like, it's got to be Jesus, you know, or whatever. I know, uh, I'm, I'm not good at that stuff, but uh, I need Dakota here for that. But, um, you know, something to shout about from our cars. Like, it needs to be overflowing, this amount of passion that we have. Because ultimately, holiness doesn't come from our behavior. It comes from the heart. It comes from deep within. It comes from a heart that's transformed, that desires God. You know, God doesn't want a divided heart. We can't share our passion with uh, things in the world and Jesus. He wants the whole thing. One thing that surprised me about going to this Seahawks game was the amount of Packers fans that were there. There There's like a third of the stadium was in green, green and yellow. And they were in front of us and behind us. And so my experience actually being in the game was hearing, like, simultaneous chants of, go, Pack, go, and see, Hawks, you know, it's like we're competing with each other. And it was just, uh, you know, of course, it was our house, right? So you kind of get indignant, like, hey, what are you doing, man? This is our house. Um, but, uh, you know, it would be, uh, h- here's the deal. It, it's cool if you're a Packers fan and you've been a Packers fan and that's who you are and that. And that's, you know, so every time they score, you, you, you're excited. I think even a Seahawk fan can respect that. What we couldn't respect is someone who, when the Seahawks were doing well, said Seahawks, and when the Packers were doing well, said Go Pack Go. That person would get beat up in the stands. Um, because you can't cheer for both teams. Like, you've got to pick a side. And so uh, holiness means that we surrender any passion that competes with God. We don't have two heart cries. We have one heart cry, this cry for Jesus. 
Because God didn't die for part of our heart. He died for our whole heart. And so Jesus says in Matthew 6, he says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one or love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve, and he uses the example of money, you cannot serve both God and money. But sometimes we juggle that, right? Like we try to maintain that thing. Like, yeah, I can love God over here and and still be about my stuff. But when we change our lens to be completely focused on our hope, all that other stuff changes. Our passion for that changes. And it's not saying that we, you know, we, we can't enjoy different things. We can't enjoy the Seahawks. It's just that there's one passion that has to dictate every other passion in our lives. There's one passion that has to be primary in our lives. We can't both be motivated by a holy God and the temporary passions of this life. And specifically, um, you know, what Peter's getting at is, is, is the passions of the flesh. You know, we can't just live for God one moment when it's convenient and then give in in the next moment. God wants us to find all of our hope and all of our joy in being his child. And so ultimately, we have to choose which master we'll serve. We have to choose which master we'll give control to. We can't serve Jesus and the desires that the world goes after, whether that's money, sex, or power, or whatever. Um, The twist in this is that Jesus ultimately satisfies our deepest needs. The things that we look for in the world, the things that we, we long deep inside, our deepest desires acceptance, love, joy, peace, all those things are found in relationship with Jesus. Even uh, fulfillment, that we're fulfilled in living out this mission and seeing people come to know Christ and in experiencing this life in Christ. Acceptance, people look for acceptance all over the place. And Jesus is saying the only place you'll find permanent acceptance is right here with me. And this is why embracing our hope is so important. And the big takeaway from this morning, if I was going to condense it down into one sentence, it's this. When we put all of our hope in Jesus, it drives us to pursue the holiness of God. When we put all of our hope in Jesus, it drives us to pursue the holiness of God. It drives us to want the holiness of God, to want him to be glorified through our lives to want people to see Jesus when they see us. And so when we embrace our hope in Jesus, it changes our heart. The Spirit of God actually changes what we desire, to desire God. When we choose him, God provides the strength that we need to live a life that honors who God is. And this is a journey. This doesn't happen overnight. And thank God for his grace that he has over and over and over again as we journey in life. But I think deep down, all Christians want to please God, right? We all want to please God. We all want to make him the focus. And so when we make the hope that we have in him our passion, uh, it allows us to run forward, not into fear, but into him. And so I want to give you three things that happen when we choose to pursue God's holiness. What actually happens when we choose to pursue God's holiness? The first thing is that we respect God's position. Peter says in verse 17, Since you call on a father who judges, judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. He uses that idea of reverent fear. And he's not, 
saying uh, that we need to be scared of God, but we need to recognize who God is, that God is our Father, and that God is God. God is the only one who's worthy of, of judging our lives, who's able to, to judge who we are, who knows our hearts, um, because he's the only God. So this means when we come before a holy God, we know our need. When we stand before, if God was present right here, we'd be on our faces, crying out to him. We'd be undone when we see the holiness of God. When we see the sacrifice of Jesus, it does something to us that, that undoes our heart. And it makes us ask, am I pleasing God? Am I pleasing God in my entire life? Or like David asks, is there any offensive way in me that you need to change? Is there any offensive way? Are there parts of my life that I need to surrender to God? And so that's what our, our fear is, is that we want to please God. And it also means that we make decisions based on God's will. I don't know about you, sometimes it feels like life's so fast, I don't have enough time to make a decision. So when it comes to like praying for decisions or praying through decisions, it's like, man, I don't have time for that. Um, but God's like, hello, <laughs> like everything's supposed to come through me. So he's saying, slow down. Like, let's not be flipping about our decisions. Let's pray through these. It causes us to be faithful to pray. So we continually pray for God's will to be done. Uh, we continue to make God, we, we try to make God that first meeting of the day. Somebody said that, that this week, and it just stuck out to me. Like, you know what? I need to be faithful to pray. I think I'll just make God my first meeting of the day. And that leads to this next thing, is that we sustain our, desi er, we, we sustain our desire for God with discipline. We sustain our desire for God with discipline. Um, it's one thing to be passionate about God. It's another thing to sustain that passion. Um, you know, when I first met Bonnie, I didn't need any discipline to motivate me to want to, you know, to be with her, to love her. Like, I was just enamored. I was all in. Like, there wasn't, there wasn't any, anybody, nobody needed to tell me anything. But as now we've been married for 13 years, um, I'm learning that discipline part of loving my wife. I'm learning that love is not just that initial stage. It's the sacrifice. It's, it's the time. Um, my, pa the, uh, my passion for Bonnie can't be sustained uh, just, uh, just through feelings. Like, it actually requires me to be intentional, like, to continue to pursue her, to make time for her, um, to uh, do bedtime so she can get some rest. You know, all those things. Like, it, it's sustained through discipline. Our desire is sustained through discipline. And if we're going to be legalistic about anything, like, let's be legalistic about spending time with God. Like, let's be legalistic about, about waking up in the morning and reading and praying and being with God. Um, because that's what will sustain that desire for God. Um, John Piper talked about uh, having a time with God every day is legalistic in the same way that eating three meals a day <laughs> is legalistic, right? Well, I ate three meals yesterday. I don't have to do it every day, you know? Um, he said, it's like, it's like uh, spending time with God is legalistic, like a scuba diver putting on his air tank would be legalistic. Like, I did that last time. I don't need to do it today. Um, it's about survival, right? It's about... It's about surviving this life of Christ. 
John 15, Jesus said, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Uh, There's this idea that God wants us to remain in him, and that requires intentionality and us showing up and spending time with him. So that means we need to be real about where our time goes. Are we making that time? Are we showing up to spend time with God? Are we, uh, are we taking an hour in the morning or 30 minutes or 15 minutes or just praying throughout the day? We just need to be real about our time because it goes like that, doesn't it? Our time just vanishes. Um, so, so the last thing, and, and the, uh, the band can come up as we close on this. Um, the, the last thing is that if we get this, if we pursue the holiness of God, if we're all about it, what it results in is that we overflow with genuine love for others. It creates genuine love within us. Um, Peter says that the result of this pursuit is genuine love here in verse 22. In, in verse 22, he says, Now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Because our pursuit of God's holiness should not um, take us away from other people. It should cause us to run towards other people. Um, Our spending time with God should not take away from our passion for others. It should actually give us more passion for others. Uh, It should give us a heart that just naturally wants to love others. He uses the word deeply, that we would love deeply, sincerely from the heart, that we don't make a show of our love, but that we just genuinely love people. Love is supposed to be the true mark of the church. If we get this right, love is supposed to be the true mark of the church. Jesus says in John 13, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So holiness is not being separate from other people, but running towards other people. Um, Not ignoring other people, but being with, being compelled to reach out and to love others. If you guys ask me, what is our number one job as a church? It's to love others well. It's to show the love of Jesus to others from a place that's sincere and real and deep because that's what's compelling, is when we love other people well. To love our city well, that people might know Jesus because they've been around us.